0: The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, Jesus always had a hard time with those who relied on their own power, and consequently had a taste for lording it over others. In the Gospel for today, taken from the 11th chapter of Matthew, we hear this, Jesus exclaimed, I give you praise, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. For although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to little ones. Yes, Father, you have graciously willed it so. The wise and the clever, the learned, these somehow have not received the word of wisdom. But the simple, the unlearned, the children, They've received it. Well, who are these wise and clever that Jesus seems to be going after here? We hear about them often in the Gospel. The scribes, the Pharisees, the keepers of the law. If you will, the professional religious class. Those who specialized in touting their own learning and expecting others to live up to their standards. Those who exalted in what they knew and rather enjoyed showing the difference between themselves and others who didn't know the truth. Jesus, as we know, often engages in these paradoxical reversals. Just as the prostitutes and tax collectors get into the kingdom of God before the self-righteous, so here, the little ones, the simple, the ignorant, receive a wisdom that the scholars don't have. Now, how should we understand this? Can I suggest first a way not to understand it? I think we shouldn't read this as somehow an attack on learning or wisdom or scholarship in themselves. Look, in the Gospel of Luke, the 12-year-old Jesus is depicted in the temple among the doctors that means the teachers those who know the law he's questioning answering dialoguing debating well this was part of the intellectual life of the time and the young jesus at age 12 is participating with great enthusiasm in it and clearly when jesus comes of age and enters into his public ministry he displays an enormous erudition a great knowledge scholarship of his own religious tradition. And more to it, throughout the Christian centuries, the church at its best has always gloried in the life of the mind, reverenced the intellectual life. Think of St. Paul himself, whose epistles are extremely intelligent, carefully crafted. Paul who knew the law, he was a Pharisee. Think of the early theologians from Justin the Martyr, Origen, John Chrysostom, Augustine, Athanasius, Ambrose. The Middle Ages, people like Bonaventure, Thomas Aquinas. Think of mystics like John of the Cross, John Henry Newman in the 19th century, up to our own day, Karl Rahner and the great theologians of the 20th century. During all of its history, the church has reverenced theology, thought, the life of the mind. In fact, Newman himself said that one of the marks of a healthy church is that it thinks about the faith. For him, a sign of a corrupt church is one that has stopped thinking, lost its curiosity. It believes in a kind of simple-minded way. The technical term here is fideism, a kind of faith that has no connection to reason. Newman also proposes, and I've always loved this, that the great patroness of theology is the Virgin Mary. Of course, she's known as the Sede Sapientiae, the seat of wisdom. The reason she's the patroness of theology for Newman is that she saw all these things and treasured them in her heart. That's in Luke's Gospel. In other words, Mary took in the events of salvation history, but didn't simply take them in. She reflected on them in her heart. She contemplated, thought about, mulled them over, saw connections among them. This is the theological life. People who reflect in their hearts on what God has done. Now, I realize that some of this could sound kind of defensive coming from me. I'm a professor of theology. That's my job, is to think about the faith. And so, I'm reacting against a fundamentalist sort of reading of Jesus' line. What you've hidden from these learned and clever you reveal to the merest children. Therefore, what? Stop thinking about the faith? Be childish in your attitude? No, I don't think that's it. In fact, Augustine says, your faith won't grow if you're not curious about it. That's true, isn't it? Think of someone who takes a basic chemistry class in grade school, but then has no further curiosity about it. What will happen? Well, his knowledge of chemistry will remain very primitive, simple. But how many of us purposely arrest our religious development at the eighth grade level? We take it in, then we stop thinking about it. Well, of course it won't grow. Of course it won't become a mature faith. So, so, the Lord is not saying, be simple-minded uncritical, untheological. is he going after the learned and clever for, then? Can I put it this way? I think he's going after the use of the mind as a weapon rather than as a tool of illumination. The scribes and Pharisees, at least many of them in his own day, he saw as intellectuals, yes, but who were using the life of the mind. As a weapon to attack others, to affirm their own self importance, they used it as a means of self aggrandizement. Now, of course, I can say from my years involved in academics, both in this country and, and overseas, I have seen a fair amount of this. It's a permanent danger of intellectuals that they can glory in their own knowledge and use it as a means of putting others down. It's always this kind of aggression that Jesus is opposed to. Now, what does he prize in these little ones? Father, what you've hidden from the learned and clever, these arrogant, aggressive intellectuals, you've revealed to the merest children. Well, Who are they? Who are these children? A little bit later in this gospel, Jesus says, I am the Son of my Father, and all things have been handed over to me by my Father. Christians, listen. Jesus is the child. He's the Son who has received everything from his Father. Jesus lives in an attitude of receptivity. He takes in what the Father gives him. His is a life of obedience. You know, in John's Gospel, he says, I say only what I hear my Father saying. I do only what I see my Father doing. Jesus is not in command of his life, but he receives his life as a gift. This, I think, is what it means to be a little child not stupid, simple-minded, ignorant. No, it's not that. It means to have an attitude of receptivity where you allow yourself to be moved by God and by God's ways. His problem with the learned and clever is not that they're learned. His problem with them is that they are trying to govern and run their own lives on their own terms rather than living in obedience to God. Who are those who become truly wise? Those who are like Christ, little children vis-a-vis God. You know, I've often said that our culture honors autonomy, self-direction. My life, my liberty, my happiness on my terms. We reverence that. Well, that's a life of not being a son or a daughter, What the gospel reverences is an obedient openness to the direction of God. You know, notice, within God himself, there is this play of command and obedience. The Father commands, the Son obeys. The Father speaks, the Son listens. It's not all about autonomy, but listening, obeying, belongs to the very life of God. Think for a second here of Therese of Lisieux the little flower, who spoke of her little way. Remember? That just meant doing very ordinary things, nothing heroic, nothing that would grab the world's attention, but doing the most ordinary things, but with a sense of being led by God, commanded by God, becoming a child, not in some negative way, but in this spiritual way. Or think of Thérèse of Lisieux's spiritual descendant, Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa, she said, it's not a matter of doing great things, but of doing even the simplest things with great love. See, in that she became a little one, a child, and thereby she received a wisdom that is closed off to the learned and the clever. Think of the Franciscans and Dominicans in their early days, when their orders first began, They lived in a radical sense of reliance upon God and God's direction. There's a great story about the early Dominican order. They were, of course, a mendicant or a begging order, asking people for their food. Well, one day they came back, and they just were very unsuccessful in their begging. And there they were around the table, all of them, nothing to eat. Well, they prayed, and according to the wonderful story, in came angels who served them. What the story signals, I think, is in that moment, they became like children, receptive, obedient, listening. Here's how the gospel for today ends. Come to me, Christ says, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. Well, it's a paradox. Jesus almost always speaks in paradoxes. Come to me, all you who are burdened, who labor, and what will I do? I will put a yoke on you. Well, you want to say, come on, if I'm burdened, the last thing I want is a yoke, a yoke that makes my life more difficult. What's the paradox? What makes our lives heavy and burdened? Precisely... The weight of our own egos. Precisely the weight of my own self. When I'm puffing myself up, I'm laboring under that weight. Jesus is saying, become a child. Take that weight off your shoulders and, in fact, put on the weight of my yoke. That means my obedience to the Father. If you have two animals yoked together and they're pulling, you know, a cart or something... Well, they're, they're beholden to another. They're doing another's work. Jesus is saying, if your life is heavy, it's probably because you are caught up under the weight of your own self-importance, your own autonomy. Get rid of that and take the yoke of Christ's obedience upon your shoulders. Be led, be led. Look, just a last thought. A yoke. What is it for Christ? It's the yoke of his cross. Think of him carrying that cross on his shoulders. Take up your cross every day and follow me. Take up, listen now, the weight of an obedience to the Father, and you will find that your life becomes like that of a little one. It becomes easy and full of grace. God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that, together, we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of The Word on Fire, call 847-297-4360.